Did you hear the other day about um, there were these two preachers standing out on the side of a mountainous kind of road out in the country? And those two preachers were standing side by side on the road there. And they were holding up a sign, a big sign. And on that sign it said, The end is near. Turn around. Turn yourself around before it's too late. Well, as a passing driver came by and saw these two fellows standing by the road with that big sign, he rolled down his window in disgust and yelled at them, You guys are nuts. And he hit the accelerator and went on by. In a few seconds from around the curb, they heard the screeching of tires and then a big splash. One of the preachers turned to the other preacher and said, Do you think we should just put up a sign that says, Bridge out instead? <laughs> the end of the world, end times, end times. When you think about that, if we interviewed people on the street and asked the question about, What do you think the end times will be like? The end of the world is going to be like. Someone might say, oh, it'll be a nuclear war or a nuclear holocaust. Others might say, no, it's going to be something with the breakdown of the ozone layer in our atmosphere, the greenhouse effect in our atmosphere and environment. It might be some rampant, uncontrolled plague or disease. It might be a, a big volcano eruption, uh, cataclysmic event. But Christian people have a different perspective about the end of the world. We look for the return, the literal return of Jesus Christ, the one who has saved us, who has given us hope and purpose. We look for a day when all will be made right by the power of God and God alone. Now when we think about that, from a Christian perspective and, and what we see throughout the scriptures, we wonder what will the circumstances be during those times leading up to that day. Probably over the course of time, hundreds if not thousands of books have been written on the subject of the end times. Some will advocate a pre-millennial, post-millennial, amillennial position, timetable on the events of that time. And we don't really know who's going to be right about those things until the day the Lord returns. But there is general agreement among most Christians from the things that we glean from Scripture that the times leading up to the return of Jesus Christ, those times will be particularly stressful. We can glean this from several New Testament passages. And so today, today, I want to look at one of these passages today that are going to talk to us a little bit about being ready for his return. Today I read from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, beginning at verse 19 and going down to about verse 25, reading from the New International Version. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, 
by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur on one another toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. And in the early church, the phrase, the day, was looked to as the return of Jesus Christ. What does this text tell us today about being ready for his return? Ready for his return. I believe there are three elements that I see in this passage today that were true of the readers for Hebrews back a couple of thousand years ago have been through, true through, for the church throughout the ages and are true for us today. I believe these things can be said from this passage of Scripture. The Scripture tells us today to be confident in our hope. Be confident in our hope. The words confidence and assurance are used. The idea of a boldness, the idea of fully, fully carrying a load, fully confident that that, that is going to happen. The boldness which believers have. What? As the writer tells us today, entering the heavenly sanctuary with boldness and confidence. As the writer of Hebrews would know, the readers, which a lot of whom would be Jews, would resonate with this whole idea and know what he's talking about in terms of entering the sanctuary as they would think about those contrasts between those who were entering the Holy of Holies. As you remember, not all could do it. Only the high priest, and even then, only a few times. In fact, there were such a fear that when he would go in there that maybe he'd have a heart attack or fall down, and they would literally put little bells on the garment of his of his robe so they would hear him walking around in there and they would tie a rope to his ankle so that if he died they could pull him out without having to go in there. There was an uns a, a little bit of a contrast there with what the Hebrew writer tells us today for Christians because with Christians he says we are invited to draw near to God with full assurance, full confidence by the one who has gone there before us. Jesus Christ, the beauty of the gospel, the good news that we, that we who don't deserve it are freely given the opportunity to follow our Savior into the heavenly sanctuary with full confidence. We're fully assured that we're his. The scripture tells us, 1 John, I write to you that you may know you have eternal life. 1 John 5, 13. 1 Peter 2, 10 says, Once you were no people, but now you are God's people. Not were, not going to be, are God's people. Romans 8, 35 and 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, nakedness, peril, or sword? No, in all these things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Confidence. 
We should have confidence today that we are his, that he loves us. What causes us to lose confidence as Christians? Maybe one thing is because you or I didn't have some sort of sensational experience, road to Damascus thing. Maybe, maybe we, it wasn't that dramatic for us. For some, it is. For some, it is a dramatic conversion, and we don't lessen the importance of that. But for others, it comes as a natural outgrowth, being taught and raised in the Word. We remember that for every one of these conversions that is sensational, and that's good, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds that have to do with situations like a guy named Timothy who grew up in the Lord because he was raised by his mom and his grandparents in the church. Confidence, confidence. Maybe another reason we don't have confidence sometimes in our faith and our position in Christ is because we stop depending on God's grace and err back into depending on our efforts. 1 John chapter 2 says, I'm writing to you so that you may not sin, may not sin as a habit of life, but if anyone does sin, and they will, this grammar says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. What a joy it is to know that we can face life here, today, and every day with the confidence and assurance that we are his. Amen? We are his. Our position in Christ is secure. He loves us. We're his. We're going to be with him. And we can face life assured that we, he is with us in good times and bad times forevermore. Well, the scripture doesn't stop there today because the scripture also talks about verse 23, that those of us who are, are confident and convicted and, 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 and that we're assured of our faith, he says, listen, he says, hold on, hold fast. Keep on holding fast. That's a present tense there. Keep on holding on to your, to, to your faith. You know, we know that, that in the end times, there are going to be times when it seems like folks around us aren't going to be doing that. You know, we have, we have illustrations of that in Scripture where folks are supposedly in that day and time aren't going to be holding fast to the things that God has called us to. Remember that passage from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5? Mark this, he says, there'll be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutals, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Does that sound a little bit familiar when you look around our world today and all the things that are going on? You know, our hearts are grieved when we see the inconsistencies of folks that claim to know Jesus Christ. Our hearts are grieved when we see all the stuff that's in the media nowadays about the moral failings of leaders in the church. It's a hard time. It's a hard time. 
You know, I'm reminded of all of us have known somebody at some point in our life who, uh, who says they know the Lord, and yet uh, their lives don't seem to match up to it. They say they know the Lord, and but they, uh, uh, but yet we know that 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 decision or that 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 ad, ad, advocation that they know the Lord is not genuine. It reminds me of, of a story a long time ago I heard. There's a story about a, uh, an old mountaineer and his wife, and he had lived a, a long life, but, and he said he knew the Lord, but, but his life wasn't really consistent with what he said, and his wife kind of knew it. Well, it came the time that old mountaineer was on his deathbed, and he summoned his weeping wife to him, and he said, listen, Sarah, go, go to the fireplace and take out the third brick from the top. She did as instructed. He said, reach in there and bring out what you find. And she stuck her hand in there and found a big mason jar. And with a lot of effort, she pulled it out of there. And lo and behold, that mason jar was full of money, lots of money in that mason jar. The old man said, Sarah, when I die, I'm taking all that money with me. I want you to put that jar up in the attic by the window and I'll get it as I go by on my way to heaven. His wife followed his instructions. That night, the old mountaineer died. After the funeral, his wife remembered that mason jar in the attic. And she went up there, and guess what she found? A jar still full of money, still sitting in that attic near the window. The old widow sighed and said, well... I guess I knew I should have put it in the basement instead. <laughs> Inconsistent lives, too often we see that, don't we? But the scripture calls us to hold fast. Now I know it's hard as we go through life and we see things around us that discourage us and we wonder about the future of the world and the future of the Lord's kingdom. But the scripture says to us today, hold fast. Just as the scripture and the Lord called the saints of old in difficult situations when they were alone to hold fast. Just as God called Noah and his family to hold fast when all around him were not doing so. Just, so God, just as God called a guy named Job, Job to hold fast when all around him were encouraging him to do just the opposite, and yet, in the midst of it all, he utters those famous words that says, yet if he slay me, I still will trust him. Just as we think about situations where folks will say, you know, choose you this day who you're going to serve, but for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord how could these folks say such a thing? Because they remembered that the God that they had followed, the God that they had followed, had been faithful to those before them, would be faithful to them, and they knew that they could trust in his character. First Peter, Second Peter chapter 1 says to us today, says to those who read Hebrews years ago, for this reason... Because of what Christ has done for us, 
Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For whoever lacks these things, the writer says, is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his sins. Sometimes, sometimes we get a little lax in our conviction and it's because we've forgotten the position we have in Christ. We take for granted, perhaps, the Lord's grace for us. But Jesus' sacrifice is something that we never, never trivialize, never take for granted. Jesus' sacrifice is enough in and of itself to well up in us that prime motivation for serving God, and that motivation is gratitude. Gratitude. As I look today at my life, and as I consider me and and my frailties and my inconsistencies, and yet I know that God loved me enough to send his son for me the way that I am, that he accepts me, that I can have confidence in him today, that he walks with me, I cannot think those things without coming to the conclusion that I need to be grateful, to be overwhelmed with gratitude, a gratitude that overshadows all in my life and causes me to say, what is it that I would not do that I cannot do for him in response to what he's done for me, for us? The writer reminds us today, the writer of Hebrews, that that we should, we should be confident in our hope, that we should be confident, that we should be convicted of our faith, and we got to hang on. And that's an intentional thing. We hang on intentionally in the face of a world where a lot of people aren't hanging on. We decide that's what we're going to do, and we pursue being the person that God wants to shape us into, knowing that he'll help us as we go along the way. But the last thing the Hebrew writer says is not to give up fellowship with those around us. No, to not neglect that, but to be together more and more and more, all the more as we see the day of his approach coming. To stir up one, one another to good works, literally, to, to think of ways you think of ways to help me grow closer to Christ. I think of ways to help you grow closer to Christ. We think about all these folks that, 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 that have somehow lost their passion for the Lord's church. I remember someone who said, well, I don't come to church anymore because it's the same old thing all the time. Well, so is my supper sometimes, but it's still good if I'm hungry, okay? Absolutely. And then Zig Ziglar reminds us of the phrase where someone says, well, I don't go to church up there because it's full of hypocrites. And Zig Ziglar said, well, come on in. There's always room for one or two more. Okay? Can you imagine what it would be like not to have the fellowship of believers? You've been in those times, haven't you? Those good and bad times. The times of joy when Christians are together that you just can't put your finger on it. You just can't quantify it. It's just, there's something about it that's just so amazing, so wonderful. 
to be loved in a way that Christ calls us to. When someone is loving you more than they love themselves, and you're loving them back the same way, that is an amazing thing to experience. You've also been in situations where it's hard times, tough times, times of loss, times of tragedy. And you wonder as the body of Christ surrounds you and ministers to you, you wonder, how in the world would I make it without this? Because that's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. Can you imagine dealing with the hard times of life without the encouragement and hope and fellowship of the saints? Can you imagine dealing with the temptations of life, which barrage us on a daily basis, without the encouragement, the teaching, the fellowship that we find when we're together hearing the Word of God taught? How ironic it is that many times, when we're in times of distress, we shy away from that which we need the most, and that's the fellowship of believers. The Hebrew writer says, as the day approaches, be together more. Because he had the insight to know that as the day approaches, things are going to get worse. And we're going to need each other more and more and more. And when we're together, we're called by the admonition of our Lord who said, By this will all people know that you're my disciples. How? that you love one another. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor, the scripture says. Because when we do that, people can tell. It makes a difference. And they see something authentic. And so today, as we conclude this message, we realize that last days are coming for all of us. Oh, we don't know if the Lord will return in our lifetime. We're supposed to live with an expectancy that he could return any day. And I hope he comes today. Today. But you know what? If we go through our life and he doesn't come in our lifetime still, there are times ahead of us that will be more difficult and be more stressful. And the Lord says to us that during those times, as we approach the end days of our life, during those times as we approach the time of his return, remember, as the Hebrew writer said, hold fast to your faith. Remember your place in Christ. Be confident. Hang on to it. And then hang on to the church. Be in the church. Be a part of the church, ministering to others and letting the church minister to you as we await the return of our Lord Jesus. We're going to sing a song of invitation and dedication that says, Draw me nearer to thy precious side. We invite you to come today if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as we sing this song. I'll be waiting on you right down front. And if you don't have a church home, we invite you to come and be part of the mission, the kingdom work that we're called to here at Southwest Christian Church. As we stand, as we sing.